Revelation chapter 5, beginning verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. And all that is in them saying. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. God's word to us. Let us pray. And so we join our voices with the voice of many angels, thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000, declaring that you are worthy. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And so come, O Lord, and be among us in the power of your Holy Spirit as we read your Holy Word, as we consider this call to pray and to declare that yours is the kingdom and power and glory. Lord, would you renew us? Would you strengthen us? Would you encourage and comfort us? Would you challenge us and convict us? Lord, would you convert us that we might be your faithful people here in this place, at this time, serving your holy purposes. And so guide us now, we pray, through our study. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. A little over 500 miles from here, uh, in a little town called Wilmore, Kentucky, something truly amazing is going on. 
I don't know how many of you have been, been tracking with this. Wilmore, Kentucky is the home of Asbury University and there's a um, seminary as well, Asbury Theological Seminary. Uh, any Methodist background folks in the house? Y'all have heard of Asbury probably along the way, okay? So you would know Asbury. Uh, Asbury University is a private Christian college in the Wesleyan Methodist holiness tradition. And at chapel last week, not the week that just ended, but going back Wednesday a week ago, chapel Wednesday, uh, February 8th, they have chapel three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 o'clock. Like any other Wednesday chapel, the students gathered and songs were sung and prayers were offered and a message was brought. But an invitation was made to share testimonies. And a student got up and shared a testimony and acknowledged ways in which that student needed to be right with the Lord. And then another student made a testimony and another. And they have been meeting nonstop since February 8th. It's gotten picked up by even the Washington Post. <laughs> it's making national news. It has become an international phenomenon. Now, social media is assisting, but it is now being called variously the Asbury Revival, um, the Asbury Outpouring, the Asbury Awakening. Uh, it is now beginning to spread to other campuses. Others are coming to Asbury. They've opened up the chapel at the seminary. So this is the chapel at the college or the university. And so now overflow. Drone footage from above sees thousands of people lining up to get in. And it's going 24-7. It's not just going for an hour and then you go home. It is so 24-7 since Wednesday, February 8th, this thing is happening. They're trying to figure out what it is. Those inside the faith get it. We, we know what this is. This is the presence of the Lord. Those outside are decrying it in some ways or confused by it. Um, the pieces I've written from those who've been there say it's not like when you hear revival, you might think, you know, emotional and all this carrying on is anything but. It's actually quite subdued. What, what uh, the, the, the president of the university and others have, have written about, it is actually a very somber um, it's they talk about it's heavy with the presence of the Lord. Confession of sin is taking place. There's reconciliation that's going on. People crying out. I want to read one piece. This is um, a student. <clears throat> uh, when you think of revival, what comes to mind might not be what's happening. To quote one of the professors at the at the at the seminary. What we are experiencing now, this inexpressibly deep sense of peace, wholeness, holiness, belonging, and love is only the smallest of windows into the life for which we are made. 
And then the student makes the observation, I find it interesting that God would mark this outpouring. It happened in 1970 at Asbury as well. And so they're hearkening back to that event. It is interesting that God would mark this outpouring with a tangible sense of peace for a generation with unprecedented anxiety. A restorative sense of belonging for a generation amidst an epidemic of loneliness. An authentic hope for a generation marked by depression. A leadership emphasizing protective humility in relationship with power for a generation deeply hurt by the abuse of religious power and a focus on participatory adoration for an age of digital distraction. It feels as if God is personally meeting young adults in ways that are meaningful to them. Priority is being given to the students. If you're over the age of it's like 25 or 26, they're asking you to go to the overflow so that the young people can come in. How many of you have heard, I've been tracking this at all, okay? The rest of y'all, go Google it, okay? Read about it. What is this thing? An outpouring of the Spirit, an awakening, a renewal, a revival, an inbreaking of the kingdom of God into hearts and lives that are hungry and thirsty for the presence of God. For lives that are prepared, ready to receive. And so what's happening now is people are coming because they're hungry for God. They're hungry for His presence. In the words of the Lord's Prayer that we have been studying... I think what we're witnessing here is the kingdom and the power and the glory of, of God. Thursday morning, I watched a recording of this Wednesday's chapel. So it started Wednesday week. And so this Thursday, I watched. They're only live streaming the hour-long chapel. They're not live streaming anything else because they don't want this to be an event that becomes social media. They're, they're keeping intentionally inviting celebrity Christians, if you know what I mean by that, to stay away. This is a move of the Lord. And so I watched the entire service of uh, this Wednesdays. And somewhere in the midst of it, I found myself weeping. I'm going, what is going on? I'm doing it again. And I recalled my own life-changing encounter with God at the University of Virginia. And I got caught in a, swept up in probably something that might have grown out of that Asbury revival of 1970. It was a decade later for me. But something was happening there on the grounds at the University of Virginia. And there was an earnestness and a hunger and a desire to know God and an experience of God. I got caught into that. I didn't go to UVA, trust me, to become a Christian. <laughs> and I went to UVA and became a Christian. And so what I'm witnessing and watching and reading about Asbury energizes me. It, it's convicting me. It's challenging me. Do I still desire God in the way that I used to? 
The scripture talks elsewhere in Revelation chapter 3 about those Ephesians that have lost their first love. Oh, Lord, let me never lose my first love. May you never lose your first love for the Lord. It is inspiring to me to see young people by the thousands and thousands of thousands confessing and surrendering and worshiping them, uh, the, the Lord, and, and giving themselves nonstop. And I thought about the Lord's prayer, what we have been studying, the, the prayer that we say with the children week after week after week, and perhaps you say it in your own home as part of your own family devotions and, and prayers. And I thought about the Lord's prayer. I said, did Jesus not teach us to pray for revival in this prayer? Is this not a prayer for renewal and for awakening and for an outpouring of the Spirit and an inbreaking of the kingdom? And I found myself thinking, how attentive am I when I offer the Lord's Prayer? And, and sometimes I confess it's hard because with the children and we're, we're saying it and it's, you know, they kind of almost take a playful, they, they sing it and they say it fast. And... Is there an attentiveness and a seriousness and a hunger and in honesty, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that's part of what's happening in Asbury. It, the kingdom of God is coming to hearts that are ready for his will to be done in and, and through them. And so we come to the end of our study of the prayer. So we've been at it for several weeks now, since the first of the year. And so we're at the last line of the prayer. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the only line of the Lord's Prayer that's not in the Bible. Wait a second, well then why are we saying it? Did you know that the phrase, thine is the kingdom and power and glory forever, is not in the scriptures? It's not in Matthew, it's not in Luke. It snuck into some manuscripts long, some, somewhere along the way, but it is generally believed not to have been part of the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Any, Roman, any folks with Roman Catholic background? You know, guess what you don't say at the end of the Lord's Prayer? Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. You know, we Protestants say, those Catholics don't always follow the Bible. They follow tradition. Well, guess who's following tradition and not the Bible? Those Protestants, okay? So that's, there's one for you. It, it, it traces to the early church. Uh, there's writings and there's liturgies. The liturgy is, is kind of a form of worship, right? And after the prayer, this line got added somewhere along the way in the early centuries of the Christian church. It's, it's like a doxology, right? Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's the church's response to this prayer. It's the church's way of saying, yes, we're in, we're all in. Um, it's like the amen or the hallelujah in a good Baptist sermon, okay? <laughs> the preacher gets going and the congregation goes, Amen! Hallelujah, brother! Okay? This, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory is the church's response 
to this prayer that Jesus has taught. It's almost as if they couldn't help themselves. When we offer this prayer, we don't want it to end and we want to bring it full circle. Because we don't want the last word of the prayer, deliver us from evil. We don't want evil to be the last word on that prayer. We, we want the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And to bring it back to the Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Is it wrong to say this line in the prayer since it's not in Scripture? By no means. It's not wrong to say these words in prayer any more than it is wrong to sing be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. That is a hymn that is written in response to the grace of God. And so this line of the kingdom and power and glory is the church's expression. The church an expression of its, of its faith. We were made for the kingdom. We were made to experience the power and, and the glory of God. We were made for a deep, abiding, living communion and fellowship, a living relationship, a moment-by-moment, day-by-day, 24-7 relationship, union with God. We were made to participate in the kingdom. We were made to participate in the kingdom of God. We were made to experience the glory of God. We were made to know the power of God in our lives. This is why we exist. We've asked if you got a Methodist background. We asked if you got a Catholic background. We made a little nod to the Baptist with the amens and hallelujahs. Anybody got a Presbyterian background here? Okay. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. A generation, generations of Presbyterians have learned that as the first question and answer of the Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? That is, why do we exist? What is our chief purpose in this life? Why are we here? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever sometimes we forget that side of it right glorify God but oh, I'm gonna trudge through life no glorify God and enjoy God because he's made us for the kingdom and to know the power and to taste the glory forever this prayer that we have been studying is a prayer that Jesus taught in order to keep us grounded in these truths, in these realities. The prayer is focused on the basics, on the essentials, on the foundation. Our Father, who art in heaven. Our Heavenly Father. We have a Heavenly Father. And we have a Heavenly Father. We're made for community. We're made in the image of God, who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we're made to honor God's name. Hallowed be thy name, to honor and sanctify in His holy name. 
And then this prayer keeps us grounded in our shared identity and connection as the children of God. We are sisters and brothers of a heavenly father, regardless of our skin color, regardless of our nation, regardless of our tribe. Isn't that what we read? Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Folks who don't look like us and who don't sound like us and who don't dress like us are our sisters and brothers as we call upon our Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. And so our shared humanity, this prayer keeps us grounded there. We are made in the image of God. And we have needs. Give us this day our daily bread. We have physical needs. We have attended to those needs. By God's grace, He's provided for us. Most of us have probably had breakfast, had a cup of coffee. Thank God for the fruit of the vine, of the bean, right? Or the bush, okay? Right? You know? And, and so God, th this prayer keeps us grounded in the reality of our physical daily needs. And we said, there's no shame in praying for your needs. There's no shame in praying at all for what it is. We made us, God wants us to depend on Him. God wants us to depend on Him. Jesus is teaching us, depend on God every day for your life. But it's not just a physical need that we have, it's a spiritual need. And forgive us our debts. <laughs> I am indebted. I have trespassed. I have sinned. Doesn't matter the language we use around that in the prayer. It's a reality that we have gone astray and, and we look to God to be the one who pardons, who forgives, who receives us back home. As prodigals coming back home, there's the fatted calf waiting for us. And all Jesus wants us to remember is that God forgives our sins. And so what should we do? We should forgive the sins of others who've hurt and wounded us. A forgiven life becomes a forgiving life. And just imagine... If everybody who named the name of Jesus Christ and offered the Lord's Prayer lived a life that forgave others the way they have been forgiven, do you think this world would be transformed? And Jesus keeps us grounded in the reality of the spiritual battle that rages around us. We talked about that last week. The temptation isn't for chocolate pie and an extra beer and another pair of shoes that you don't need. The temptation is to live apart from God. That's the temptation. And that's what the evil one's trying to do. And so Jesus keeps us grounded in this reality of a spiritual battle. And so he has us praying for all of these things. That God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done. Here and now, in me, in us, everywhere. In Asbury, in Wilmore, Kentucky, and in Greenwich, Virginia. For his is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And so what we're seeing in Wilmore, uh, Kentucky, is God's gracious answer to a prayer such as this. I, I don't know that they offered the Lord's Prayer that day. But, but the revival, the awakening, the renewal that's taking place is certainly in the spirit of the prayer that our Lord taught us. And so can it happen here? And can it happen in your home and in your life 
and in our shared life as a church family? Can it happen in this community? Can we pray this for our sister churches up and down Pin Hill Road and all around us? When we planned this sermon series back in the fall, we didn't know that revival was getting ready to break out in a little town in Kentucky, 500 miles from Greenwich. But what we did know is that we were going to be sending out a survey to the church family in early February. And we're going to ask you to respond to the materials that you read there. And we were pretty sure that that survey and the materials and a little chart that talks about what our parent denomination teaches and believes and practices and what we're trying to teach and believe and practice here at Greenwich, we, we know that that would generate a little bit of attention and it would stimulate conversation that this survey would both inform and in some cases possibly infuriate. And that this little survey in the materials might clarify as well as confuse. My guess is that some of you, and we've had a wonderful response, I think it's something like, I don't know if Eric's in the room, but something like over 300 surveys have responded. We would love for you to return one if you have not yet. But my guess is that when some of you opened up those materials and you looked at that, read that little cover letter and read that chart, you said, the PCUSA believes what? And others may have, Greenwich believes what? A church this size is going to have a divergence of conviction and opinion and belief and priority and practice. Maybe to illustrate this, shall we just talk about politics for the next hour or so and see how kumbaya we are? There's no kumbaya when we, yeah, okay. We are different people. We think and, and we engage and we believe and we trust and we pray and we practice and we hunger for God's kingdom in ways that are consistent and compatible with one another and we hunger for God's kingdom in ways that at places might diverge from each other. And so the leadership of the church with its pastor said, let's, let's talk about prayer. Let, let, let's get ahead of this thing, not in a political sense. Let's get ahead of this thing spiritually. Let's go back to the basics of the Lord's Prayer as we prepare to send out the survey that surely will bring some upset and generate some conversation and get us a buzz a, a little bit. We couldn't send a survey about paint colors for the sanctuary and not generate some dispute, right? And so the only way through disruptive experiences in life, in your home and at work and certainly at church, the only way through a disruptive experience is is to humble ourselves and to pray. And to remember that we are the children of God together, whom God has created in His image. And we are those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that we all have the same kinds of physical needs, though they may differ in, in situation and circumstance. We are all dependent, contingent beings, needing daily bread. And we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we all have sins and debts and trespasses that we have been forgiven. And we all need to forgive others. 
And all of us are facing the spiritual battle. And all of us are made for the kingdom and the power and the glory. And so the elders and the pastors together said, let's call the church to a season of prayer. If you picked up a survey, I've got one sent home, you know there's a little card. We didn't do this just for decoration. We really, it's, it's a daily set of prayers for the ministries and mission of the church with some special requests. And it's an opportunity for us to tell God that we're serious. That whatever we go through this year and in future years as Greenwich, what we really want is the kingdom and the power and the glory. That, that we want renewal, that we want awakening, that we want, dare I say it, revival. Because what we read this morning in Revelation chapter 5 is our future. This is our future. <laughs> to be gathered around that throne and to be kneeling down before Him who was worthy to open the scroll and the seals, the Lamb who was slain, who purchased us. We've been bought. We didn't vote for Jesus and make Him Lord. He is Lord. <laughs> and with His blood, He has purchased us for God along with people from every tribe and language and nation. A friend of mine had opportunity to bear witness in his church last week. And he shared a quote from a, a Bible commentator, Marty Solomon. He said, if you make space for God, he will fill it. If you make space in your life for God, He will fill that space. I think it's true, we could say also, that if you make time for God in your schedule, if you make time for God, He will meet you. And so as we close out this message, as we continue through our survey season, as we prepare, in a couple weeks we'll share what we hear on the survey We'll come together. Let us continue in the season of prayers. We gather Wednesday night to begin the season of Lent. Lent is that way of making space for God and making time for God and say, come, fill my life, fill our lives with the kingdom and the power and the glory. And so friends, I invite you to pray with me as Jesus taught us once again, saying, our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand.